0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: Happens, yeah. yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun
2: over there. Dick and Don were all through this time part of this COG group, continuity of government, where they were practicing, essentially practicing to take over the United States government in time of crisis. The only time that that plan was ever implemented was on 9-11 by Richard Clark, one of their one of their uh, COG associates. So they planned to take over the government uh, over these decades, in and out of government uh, themselves, and they changed the plan in 1998 for it to be a response to a terrorist event, just exactly uh, the kind of event that happened on September 11th. And then on September 11th, they implemented this plan. So one thing about that plan is that since then we've learned that it may still be in effect. It definitely was still in effect the year after 9-11, and it continued apparently to be uh, left in place to some degree. A lot of us are not sure what that means to what extent, and the reason we don't know what it means is that U.S. congressmen cannot even get information about it. Some congressmen have asked specifically for information on the continuity of government plan, whether it's still in effect, what it means, and they have been told that they cannot access that information.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Another Nineteen, Part One. Kevin Ryan began to investigate the crimes of September eleventh, two thousand and one through his work as site manager for a division of Underwriters Laboratories, or UL. As a manager at Underwriters, he began in 2003 to question the World Trade Center investigation being conducted by UL and the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, and UL's work to ensure the fire resistance of the buildings. Ryan lost his position at UL for making his questions public. He was a founding member of the 9-11 Working Group of Bloomington and Scholars for 9-11 Truth and Justice. From 2009 to 2011, he volunteered his time as a board director at Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He now serves as co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies. He has co-authored several books and peer-reviewed scientific articles on the subject. His latest book is Another 19 – Investigating Legitimate 9-11 Suspects, released in 2013. Kevin Ryan, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you uh, back on the show, Kevin. We haven't talked in quite a while, it seems.
2: It seems like it's been a few years, Bonnie. It's great to hear your voice.
0: Now, you have a new book out, Another 19, what is the basic concept behind your new book, Another 19, Investigating Legitimate 9-11 Suspects? The U.S. government named 19 individuals, mostly Saudis, of instigating the events of September eleventh, two 2001. You have written a book about 19 high-level government, corporate, and intelligence officials whose behavior for decades before September 11th calls into question their involvement in these events. In your introduction to the book, you mention, quote, the politically-minded rich, a group otherwise referred to as the overworld, and the connections between important operations such as the October Surprise, Iran-Contra, Operation Gladio, the First Gulf War, and 9-11. In your research, do you find the same individuals popping up in all of these events?
2: Yes, absolutely. That's that's a big part of what I'm trying to show here after learning about 9-11 and the history of other deep state events. Um, I've found that those events have a lot of people uh, that seem to Pop in and out of history uh, and show up in things. You mentioned Iran-Contra. I also go through the Phoenix program in Vietnam a little bit. Another big one are the lies behind the first Gulf War. And so the reason I wrote the book is that uh, many people know now that the official investigations and the official reports for 9-11 don't explain some of the major aspects of what happened. They really have not been sufficient in explaining the unanswered questions. And I go through some of those. I focus on what has not been explained and who might have been in position to accomplish the parts of the attacks that have not been explained. And, and in doing so, as you said, I, I found that these these people seem to be interlaced and interwoven with history of other state crimes and other deep state events. So uh, I go into quite a bit of detail in the book, and it's for people who really want to learn more about 9-11 and are really interested in the subject.
0: How did investigations in the 1970s into CIA crimes, such as assassinations of political leaders around the world, known as the Family Jewels, lead to the formation of a private, covert network of intelligence operatives. What can you tell us about the history of this private network that formed in the late 70s and how that history developed?
2: Well, the history um, goes back, as you said, to the mid-70s when the CIA was under fire publicly uh, by several congressional investigations. And there there were... uh, legal actions taken, and uh, there were tools put in place for the public to try to control these agencies, the CIA in particular and um, And what happened as a result of that, uh, with the blessing of uh, then CIA director George H. W Bush, is that some of the um, people who were working in the u s intelligence service connected with foreign intelligence services, like that of the Saudi government, and uh, like that of a group called the Safari Club, which included the Saudis and the Iranians and other countries. And they found ways to act as proxies around the world for each other. So essentially, the CIA was prohibited from doing certain things, from conducting certain operations after these congressional investigations. And so what they did is they essentially contracted the work out covertly. It was off-the-books operations, and a big part of that, uh, the need for funding came about uh, in a way that created something called the Bank of Commerce and Credit International, and. Um, Actually, this bank existed, but it was developed by the Saudis at the request of a man named uh, Clark Clifford, who was a high-level, powerful person in the United States. And the BCCI um, became uh, essentially a terrorist financing network. And as you read through uh, the book, Another 19, you see many links to BCCI, and, and they're very compelling in terms of the ability for um, people to, for example, place explosives in the World Trade Center, the, the company that's most likely to have been able to do that was a company called StrateSec, and I go into great detail about that, and the company's links to BCCI. And uh, anyway, this network was essentially a covert operations network funded through this terrorist financing um uh, group called BCCI, which was basically run by the CIA through its subsidiary, First American Bank. And um, this network was very closely linked to the Bush family. Many people have written about this in the past. I'm certainly not the first one. In my book, it really is is just kind of laying the history that others have already covered and showing how that history links very well to various aspects of the 9-11 attacks.
0: The first two persons that you give a detailed history of are Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. Let's start with Donald Rumsfeld. What do we know about him? And didn't he, on several occasions, make prescient predictions about the nine eleven attacks?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely he did. Uh, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, in this book, are essentially the alternative... Osama bin Laden, and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. They are the two people who were in perfect position to coordinate the attacks of 9-11 because of their roles for Dick Cheney as Vice President of the United States. He was in charge at the White House that day, with the president uh, traveling around the country uh, indisposed. And Donald Rumsfeld, as the Secretary of Defense, was in position at the Pentagon to coordinate what happened there and the the lack of national air defenses. Donald Rumsfeld is a character who uh, has been described by Richard Nixon, as a ruthless little bastard, and he uh kept that reputation throughout his career. One thing about Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney is that they were in government periodically over years, but throughout the thirty years before nine eleven they were um, part of a group called the Continuity of government group it 's a secret it was a secret um, group that planned to Uh, basically ensure that the government continued without, unfortunately, congressional approval. They would basically take over the government in a coup if uh, a certain um, national emergency occurred. At first, those emergencies were based around the uh, threat of a Soviet um, attack on the United States. Um, And that in the late nineties was revised, that plan was revised so that this COG plan, this continuity of government plan would be in response to a terrorist event as well. And now, the interesting thing is this this plan was revised by another member of the very small group that was, was responsible for it, and that member was a man named Richard Clark, who was a close associate of, of Dick uh, Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. But as I said, Donald Rumsfeld was in perfect position to coordinate certain parts of the attack. And what he really did is he apparently allowed the attacks to go forward. And he had, um, it seemed, some knowledge that they were going to attack the Pentagon. He made that kind of prediction, as you said. He he made these very prescient predictions, saying that uh, this would be a great, uh, essentially, this would be an excellent place to attack. Uh, He he made several comments about the need for a new Pearl Harbor and that he expected a a Pearl Harbor to occur. And so he made uh, himself, unfortunately for him, I think in historical terms, that he's going to continue to look like someone who really needs to be investigated for his possible involvement in the attacks.
0: What can you tell us about the history of Donald Rumsfeld? He has quite a varied history, doesn't he? Starting, like you say, 30, 40 years ago.
2: Absolutely. He was a guy who um, he initially worked for a uh, an investment brokerage called A.G. Becker. And um, that was kind of his stepping stone into Congress, and he he uh, was elected to Congress after having taken a job with A. G. E. Becker for a year or two. And he was in Congress for a period of time, and he was a close associate of Gerald Ford, who uh, ended up becoming president after Richard Nixon resigned. And Donald Rumsfeld, um, just prior to that, prior to to Ford uh, becoming president. In the few years before that, he was somehow uh, made a special assistant to uh, President Nixon. So he he seemed to get very strong um, favorite uh, treatment from the government. Somehow he was made uh, part of the cabinet and a special assistant to President Nixon, and then he hired on Dick Cheney to be his assistant, and the two of them... Really skyrocketed politically in terms of uh, just getting this favored treatment this um, this ability to somehow just uh, rise through the ranks and uh, gain power over a period of time in the Nixon and ford administrations uh, Donald Rumsfeld was the ambassador ambassador to NATO and this was at the height of of the operation Gladio crimes and what people should know is that the uh, supreme allied commander in europe working through nato was um was the person who was in charge of the uh, operation uh in the operation gladio crimes were being committed by a cia linked group that were led by the uh, uh the uh, nato forces the nato commander in in brussels and at that same time Donald Rumsfeld was the ambassador to NATO in Brussels. So um you know that doesn't in, that's that's kind of uh it's not necessarily uh, uh definitive that Donald Rumsfeld was somehow involved in Operation Gladio. But there are other connections with regard to Operation Gladio in some of these suspects. Uh Paul Bremer was strongly uh connected to Alexander Haig, who is a also one of those uh supreme Allied commanders who would have been in charge of Operation Gladio at the time so and and one thing I mentioned in my book that uh of the nineteen suspects that I've identified uh, at least half of them worked in some way for the Nixon or ford administrations, and that's when um these CIA crimes were being revealed, and the congressional investigations were going on, and Cheney and, and Rumsfeld were really uh, defending the CIA as as White House uh, representatives. And these other people, uh, Carlucci, for example, and Richard Clark, and, and Paul Bremer, and uh, Rudy Giuliani, were all working in the Ford and Nixon administrations. And so they all seem to tie together, going back uh, to this history um, of when the CIA uh, crimes were being revealed and this new network was being developed.
0: I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show: Another 19, Part One. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Both Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney are readily identified as part of the Ford administration, but in fact, as you pointed out, the first administration that the two of them worked in was Nixon's. What was the reason for including Dick Cheney in the other 19? Well, Dick Cheney was, as I said, uh, he was really in
2: charge at the White House. And uh, he was the man who uh, uh, originally took charge in the the, uh, underground... Presidential Emergency Operations Center, or POC, And so a uh, piece of evidence that many 9-11 investigators have uh, focused on is the testimony of Secretary of Transportation Norman Mineta. And there's some controversy about when Vice President Cheney actually arrived in the PEOC Center and therefore was in, in control of what was going on in, in the response that uh, basically failed. and uh, But uh, Norman Mineta's testimony suggested that not only was Dick Cheney there very early, before 9.30 in the morning, but, uh, but he had given orders of some kind, and a young man was coming in periodically and checking to see if those orders still stood. The orders related to a plane that was coming towards Washington that uh, Minetta stated was the plane... That was said to have hit the Pentagon, Flight 77. So Dick Cheney was in charge of the White House. He was apparently giving orders. And by the way, Norman Mineta has stood by that testimony over the years that Dick Cheney was tracking this plane in some way, had given orders uh, about it. We're not sure what kind of orders. Um, all this contradicts the official account. And Dick Cheney has also, uh, early this year, come out and. And made it clear that he really was in charge, and he was basically telling the president to stay away from Washington. And um, you know, many people have noted that that Dick Cheney seems to have given an order to shoot down the fourth plane, United ninety three. So I go into a, a good deal of the evidence related to those things, and also the background of Dick Cheney. Um, you know, one thing about Dick and, and Don, uh, as I call them in the book, and that, those are their names, but basically we know for a fact that Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld were behind the lies that started the Iraq War. And they led a campaign a coordinated campaign of lies to start the Iraq War by falsely claiming um, that Iraq was somehow associated with 9-11 and the Niger documents about the uh, yellow cake were forged and the aluminum tubes that they talked about uh, to the New York Times, that was all false. So Dick and Don uh, lied to start this, this huge war that killed a million people, plus Dick was also behind the lies uh, of the first that started the first Gulf War. And he was behind, along with another suspect in this book, his protege, Dwayne Andrews, he was behind the lies about the satellite imagery that said that that Saddam Hussein had huge numbers of troops at the Saudi border. That was false, it turned out. He was uh, uh, also apparently associated with the Hill and Knowlton campaign that, uh, that, that encouraged this young woman, Naira al-Sabah, uh, to falsely claim that uh, Iraqi soldiers were taking babies out of incubators. The interesting thing about Naira is she's the first cousin of one of the other suspects. That uh, Well, she's the first cousin of Michelle al-Sabah of Qawam Corporation, and he worked closely with Walker, who was another of the suspects. So all this ties together uh, to a great degree, and Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld over the years appear to have been uh, intimately involved in a number of these crimes.
0: Well, you also point out in your book that Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld would move in and out of government, and they would they would publicly lose power but really behind the scenes, remain in power. You mentioned uh, continuity of government, for one thing. Could you talk a little bit about what these two were up to when they didn't actually even hold public office?
2: Yes, um, absolutely. Dick Cheney was actually in government for a longer period of time. Uh, he was in Congress as a congressman from Wyoming not long after he left uh, uh, the Ford administration. Uh, one thing interesting about the, uh, the little segue for his career is that he worked again for a company called Bradley Woods, and yet another of the suspects in this book uh, now works closely with his partner uh, Bruce Bradley from Bradley Woods, and that's Barry McDaniel of Stratisek. But uh, Dick Cheney worked uh, in the government for a long period of time until the early 90s and then he was hired as the uh, ceo of halliburton a company that um profited a great deal off of the wars that have resulted from 911 he also as ceo of halliburton was clearly uh breaking the law in terms of doing business with iran and and in iraq and some of the countries that supposedly are you know the the enemies of the united states Donald Rumsfeld has been uh, an executive for a number of companies, and uh, uh, he was the youngest Secretary of Defense during the Ford administration, and then and then one of the oldest uh, as George W. Bush's Secretary of Defense. In between, though, he held a lot of different uh, pseudo-government positions. You know, as kind of the special envoy to the Middle East for Reagan, and uh, also. Uh, as the RAND Corporation uh, CEO. The RAND Corporation being kind of a policy-making, pseudo-private corporation associated with the Pentagon. And as you said, uh, we, uh, we discussed earlier, Dick and Don were all through this time part of this cog group, continuity of government, where they were practicing, essentially practicing, to take over the United States government in time of crisis the only time that that plan was ever implemented was on 9/11 by Richard Clark one of their one of their uh Cog associates so they planned to take over the government over this whole uh, over these decades in and out of government themselves and they changed the plan in 1998 for it to be a response to a terrorist event just exactly Uh, the kind of event that happened on September 11th. And then on September 11th, they implemented this plan. So one thing about that plan is that since then, we've learned that it may still be in effect. It definitely was still in effect, the year after 9/11 and it continued apparently to be uh left in place to some degree and a lot of us are not sure what that means to what extent and the reason we don't know what it means is that us congressmen cannot even get information about it some congressmen have asked specifically for information on the continuity of government plan whether it's still in effect what it means and they have been told that they cannot access that information So Dick and Don have been, uh, over the many years between uh, uh, the the early 70s, through the George W. Bush administration, really powerful figures, whether they were in government or not.
0: In fact, uh, all of the other 19 that you uh, go through in in quite a, a lot of detail in your book, all of these people are in and out of government but retain a lot of power when they're not in government, right? They all seem to be jumping from one company to another, to intelligence agencies, back into government. So all of these 19 people have never gone away for decades, right? They retain power.
2: That's exactly right, and people call this the revolving door to some extent, but I think with some of these people it's a little higher level revolving door. Uh, One person, for example, is L. Paul Bremer, uh, who is covered in the chapter on terrorism propaganda. He was uh, Reagan's um, um, ambassador-at-large for counterterrorism, and then he went to become the managing director for Kissinger Associates, and then he came back to lead the National Commission on Terrorism. Another example is Paul Wolfowitz, who not only was in and out of government, but he Uh, Regardless of what political party was in power, Wolfowitz was always in a position of power. There are a few people over the years who have been like that. Robert Gates is another uh, example of somebody who, no matter which political party is in power, is always somehow in a strong position uh, in the government. And uh, So yes, this revolving door is is definitely uh, reflected in these 19 suspects. Uh, a guy named Dwayne Andrews is another one in the book that, uh, you know, led a company called SEIC, which is uh, Science Applications International Corporation, which is just uh, incredibly uh, interesting in terms of the many, many links it has to 9-11. And, and uh, Dwayne Andrews, as I said earlier, was the protege of, of Dick Cheney. He was Dick's intelligence uh, um, man when dick was secretary of defense in the george h w bush administration and after that left to to lead this company saic so these corporations and the government there's really almost no um there's really almost no barriers between them and i think we see that today when we know that the uh, for example most of the top secret clearances given out by the united states today are to to people who work for private companies, so most of the intelligence work in the United States is contracted out, and that can be frightening to a lot of people, knowing now that uh, the government is spying on all of us continuously.
0: I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Another Nineteen, Part One. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Frank Carlucci, former head of the investment firm the Carlyle Group, is the third major player mentioned among the other 19. What is his history, and what are some of the companies he has been affiliated with?
2: Well, Frank Carlucci is most well-known for having been the CEO of the Carlyle Group. And the Carlyle Group is very interesting with regard to 9-11 because It was funded in part by the Bin Laden family, who were investors in the Carlisle Group. And they were investors and and, uh, partners with the Bush family. The Bush family is very very closely related to the Carlisle Group as well. So Carlucci is also, he, he comes into play in the book because he is very closely related to Donald Rumsfeld. He was Donald Rumsfeld's roommate at Princeton in the uh in the fifties and uh since then he's had a career as uh basically a covert operative. He worked ostensibly for the state department for the foreign service, as they said back in the day and 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 at that time it was clear that People working for the State Department oftentimes might be these uh, really covert operatives, and that's exactly what what he was. Carlucci was was run out of several countries uh, over the over his career. Uh, he was accused of plotting the uh, assassination of Patrice Lumumba, uh, who was the president of the Congo in 1961. He's accused of overthrowing Salvador Allende in Chile. Uh, he's accused of being involved in coups in in several other countries and uh the kidnapping of Aldo Moro uh and other things uh in Portugal and so forth. So he's really considered a, a specialist in dirty work. Uh, and that's interesting because you know his him being so powerful as the CEO of, of the Carlisle group and having such connections to uh companies that, that that actually reported through him one of them being BDM international and BDM international is is really uh strongly connected to 9/11 and that again this company stratec comes up because uh the the chief operating officer and, and other employees from stratec came directly from Carlyle, uh, carlucci's BDM international but Carlucci also has a uh, a history that appears to very strongly appears to indicate that he was involved in the iran contra crimes he uh, He ran a company called Sears World Trade back then, and this company was considered a spook operation basically by uh, people who worked there. It was um, a company that was found to be um, coordinating arms sales in the exact kinds of um, equipment that uh, the Iran-Contra crimes uh, involved. And essentially, uh, newspapers like the Philadelphia Inquirer basically uh, accused uh, Sears World Trade and Carlucci of being involved in the Iran-Contra crimes. But he was never actually investigated for that. And uh, one thing that, again, crops up, these people keep interlacing in and in showing up Barry mcdaniel from strategic was uh... the man in charge of uh... of distributing the weapons for the u-s at that very time at the time of the iran contra crimes and so he was an expert on logistics for armaments and explosives and so forth which is why he partly why he comes up again in the book later in his own chapter and so um, Carlucci was uh, around the world. He spent uh, time in countries around the world, mainly in Africa and uh, in the Middle East, and, and he did um, make a reputation, and in Central America and South America, as being this this heavy, covert operative, uh, and uh, also was in, involved in the, the ATSCO, you know, very closely associated with Ted Shackley and the people who were... Uh, um, selling arms to Iran and, and so forth. So, there's you a know, just an enormous amount of detail. But what we're trying to do with this discussion in this book is to show that these suspects just crop up in perfect positions in some cases uh, to, um, to help affect the crimes of 9-11 and, and accomplish the things that have not been explained.
0: What is Frank Carlucci doing now? So Frank Carlucci is no longer the
2: chairman of the Carlyle Group. Uh, he left that job in 2003 and became the chairman emeritus for a few more years, but he's associated with a lot of other companies now, uh including primarily the Frontier Group where he works with Norman Augustine who uh who had worked uh for InQtel. And um he is also an advisory board member for uh G2 Satellite Solutions and uh and for Nortel Networks, so into communications and satellite stuff. Um one thing other people uh, have noted is he was also a primary advisor for Mitt Romney in the 2012 presidential campaign. So he's definitely a strong Republican and um he continues to be associated with businesses at a high level, but uh, no longer with government. And so I believe he's just uh, kind of a guy who tries to influence policy as a private as citizen. And, uh, and so uh, I think that he really needs to be uh, investigated for 9-11 in, in, in terms of his uh, connections to the Carlisle Group, to Barry McDaniel, to Donald Rumsfeld, and to the bin Laden family in particular.
0: In your chapter on Frank Carlucci, um, you also go into the history of Richard Armitage. Now, he was part—I remember—of the George W. Bush administration. What can you tell us about Armitage?
2: Yes, uh, Armitage is—he um, was the Deputy Secretary of State on nine eleven, so he was in a very powerful position with regard to people coming in and out of the country at that time and he had developed along with his subordinate grant green uh... visa express program that a number of the alleged nine eleven hijackers supposedly uh, uh... took advantage of so basically this visa express program was one by which people didn't even have to come into the office uh... in the in saudi in jeddah saudi arabia to uh... to apply for their visa they basically just filled out the paperwork and a lot of these people got visas uh... Or were told they got visas through that office and that program so here's richard armitage the deputy secretary of state in charge of providing visas basically to these uh... alleged attackers but the history of Armitage is very strongly indicative that he is another covert operative. And he was responsible, uh, for, um, doing drug trafficking and profiting from drug trafficking in Vietnam. And, uh, he was, uh, allegedly part of the Phoenix program, which was an assassination program in Vietnam that killed over 20,000 people in, in terrible ways. Um, And Armitage was also um, linked to Ted Shackley and the guys who were part of this private network that had been created in the 70s. So we talked about this private network being created that the CIA uh, uh, was having off-the-book operations conducted uh, by other countries. But in the 80s, that actually grew. Um Ted Shackley was part of the CIA and then was fired by uh, um by Jimmy Carter and uh those people along with him that were fired in a in a kind of a purging of the CIA during the Carter administration developed this private network even more strongly and Armitage seemed to be very closely associated with those people and so um he was the protege of a man named Eric von Marbod, who was very closely linked to Shackley in the, uh, in the Sears World Trade Network that Frank Carlucci was, was running. So this appeared to be, uh, the group that was behind the Iran Contra Crimes and, uh, um, and arms sales to Iran in the 1980s against, uh, uh against uh, U.S. law. And, uh, you know, they also went back together to Vietnam and the Phoenix program. And so for them to have showed up on 9-11 in these positions of power um, is interesting, because partly because of not only the Iran-Contra crimes and, and so forth, but the Mujahideen was— uh, where uh, we were told al-Qaeda was born. The Mujahideen is the the, uh, group of Afghan Arabs in the 1980s that the U.S. funded and trained. And this was during a time when Frank Carlucci was in and out of government in the Defense Department and the CIA and Armitage was in and out of government in the 80s uh, as well. And they were Armitage was going to Afghanistan and meeting with these mujahideen al-Qaeda precursors and uh so for him to have been in that position of providing evidence on who was responsible for the crimes of 9/11 and um and also to have been so intimately linked to the funding and training of the mujahideen seems like a, a surprising coincidence Richard Armitage was also present on the secure video teleconference on 9-11 that Richard Clark was running, um, from the White House Situation Room. So he was part of the group who failed to defend us on 9-11. He was a man who provided or who who ran the program that provided visas to the alleged hijackers. He had this history of covert operations and, and connections to the Al Qaeda precursor group mujahideen he he really is very strongly uh, uh, suggestive of somebody who knew a lot more about what was going on just like Senator max Cleland uh, who quit the 9/11 Commission claimed he claimed that the he claimed that the Commission was uh, a scam was a sham that uh, that the government knew a lot more about this whole al-qaeda a uh, group long before 9-11, and, and we're not being honest about
0: it. I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Another 19, Part 1. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. The crimes of 9-11 are the origins of the War on Terror. Which individuals and what corporate entities benefited most from the crime of 9-11? Well,
2: the Carlisle Group's a great example. They're a defense company that uh, made a lot of money off of 9-11 and then uh, um, bought up a lot of interesting types of companies after that. But also, SAIC, as I mentioned, Science Applications International Corporation, and, and a couple of, of journalists uh, um, have made it clear that um, SAIC, you know, more than anyone, more than any company, appears to have really uh, made a, a bundle off of 9-11. These journalists, Don- Donald Bartlett and James Steele, for example, said they're, they're, you know, 9-11 was a personal tragedy for thousands of families and a national tragedy for all of America, but it was very, very good for SAIC. And the reason for that is that SAIC um, paradoxically built the systems that supposedly uh, uh were to prevent terrorism um in the databases for example the national criminal databases where people would check for terrorists were built by SAIC and then after 911 they were given huge contracts to repair those programs and to build new ones and what they ended up doing was uh basically taking the money and and building products that didn't work at all. Um, and I go into that in the book to, to a little degree, but mostly with SEIC, what I'm trying to show is, is just the enormous number of, of contexts or, or connections to the crimes of 9-11 and to the possible explanations for what might've happened. So, um, I mentioned that, uh, The company created the national databases that tracked and identified alleged terrorists. They also supplied airports with terrorism screening equipment. They actually even predicted and and then investigated terrorist attacks like uh, those that occurred in the World Trade Center. So they did investigations uh not only did to help with the NIST investigation of the World Trade Center after nine eleven, but they investigated the World Trade Center event in nineteen ninety three and they had in nineteen eighty six that company had gone in and and predicted that basically this the exact thing that happened in nineteen ninety three. Um you know they came uh they played a big role in capturing uh the alleged architect of nine eleven, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Um They hired and uh, were the employer of a man who was cleaning up Ground Zero with robots, basically using equipment that had previously been used for uh, eliminating unexploded ordnance. His name was uh, John Blitch. Lieutenant Colonel John Blitch left his job and joined SAAC the day before 9-11 and then spent his time cleaning up uh, Ground Zero. So SAIC is is not only profiting enormously from 9-11, but they were very intimately linked to a lot of aspects uh, of the crimes, and they appeared to be in position to help affect the crimes.
0: Kevin, you mentioned Richard Clark. Now, Richard Clark was a very major player among the other 19. Could you talk about who Richard Clark is, what his background is, his involvement with the uh, BCCI, the uh, terrorist funding network, his uh, relationship with the uh, with the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, his uh, relationship with the CIA, and um, as an aside, I found it quite interesting that. Rolling Stone journalist Michael Hastings dying in a fiery car crash in Los Angeles at 4 a.m., a very suspicious accident. It was Richard Clark who very recently came out publicly and stated that Michael Hastings, this journalist, that this accident was consistent with a cyber attack on his car, meaning that his car could have been remotely controlled. Um... So Richard Clark is still uh, very much among us, and I thought it was curious that he would come out with these remarks.
2: Yeah, he he is definitely a very interesting person, and and the man is uh, is a powerful figure without question. He has uh, been part of U.S. government for many many years, going back, as I said, to the Ford administration, and um, he has worked. Uh, with many of the people who um, who are suspected of having been part of the crimes and and are suspects in this book, including Paul Wolfowitz and Dwayne Andrews and and uh, George Tenet was a very close friend of his and uh, Richard Armitage. So uh, Dick Clark or Richard Clark is a man who was the counterterrorism czar or so-called uh, lead counterterrorism principal in the United States government from 1992. He was put in that position by George H.W. Bush in 1992. Through the events of 9-11, he was this lead counterterrorism expert. And um, you know, some of the things that really uh, jump out about uh, Clark and his background are that uh, you know he was uh, basically he still is very close to the government of the United Arab Emirates. And why that's important is that the government of the UAE are the, are the owners of, uh, BCCI. Um, they helped start BCCI. And then when the bank of England closed BCCI down in 1991, uh, the UAE bought up all of that network and, um, it was shortly after that that Richard Clark started going there and essentially acting as a representative of the UAE. Now, if people have studied the 9/11 Commission report, they may find that interesting that the lead counterterrorism expert in the United States was so close to the UAE because uh well, two of the uh, alleged hijackers came from the UAE, but but all of them traveled to the United States almost all of them but one or two traveled to the United States for the 9/11 tax by traveling through the UAE most of the funding that officially was said to have uh, supported the alleged hijackers came from the UAE and so why Richard Clark might have been so closely associated with this this government and and almost acting acting as a representative for them is is just a startling question. Uh, the nine eleven commission did not cover that. Neither neither did the congressional joint inquiry. But one thing they did cover, and uh, is in the book, uh, is is that um, Richard Clark actually obstructed two CIA uh, attempts to capture Osama bin Laden. And um, you know, we Clark was actually questioned by congressman richard burr as part of the joint inquiry about his actions to uh to notify the uae uh, to give them a heads up so that so that bin laden could get uh, basically ultimately bin laden could get away um and and clark's response to congressman burr was basically was was essentially an admission he said uh you know uh he, he thinks that those facts are slightly wrong, but basically he did uh, uh, brief the UAE that the CIA was watching this camp where Osama bin Laden was at. And uh, and he voted down in a previous attempt to uh, capture Osama bin Laden. So there are other things that make Clark um, uh, really suspicious. But when we know that this guy was involved with uh, essentially helping Osama bin Laden get off the hook as if we didn't really want to catch Osama bin Laden, or Clark didn't, that comes uh, to mind as very serious uh, series of questions that maybe uh, Clark could answer for us. And I've got those questions in the book that I'm hoping that... Uh, that someday Clark will be asked under oath because he wasn't under oath in the... he was the only one in the joint inquiry session that wasn't asked to be under oath when he uh, admitted basically that he helped L, off uh, off in those those instances. So I've got a bunch of questions for him uh, related to COG, you know, his continuity of government plan, uh, how uh, his, his friends in the UAE use the BCCI terrorist network, Um, how he could have predicted, he basically predicted the 9-11 attacks in so many words, Um, why he voted down these plans, uh, why he didn't follow up on on actions when he was given evidence that uh, certain terrorist cells were operating in the United States, um, he's just been really uh, evasive in a lot of ways, and I'm not sure how to explain his his comments about Michael Hastings, but I would just say that take anything that Richard Clark says with a grain of salt.
0: Now, Richard Clark was the uh, terrorism Czar under Bill Clinton, so he has worked for both he has worked in both Republican and Democrat. Democratic administrations, as have a lot of these guys. but what I was really startled to read about in your book is that it was Richard Clark who first came up with the um, idea of rendition or torture. Um, could you talk about his origination of the concept of rendition and also um you do write a little bit about the Rwandan genocide in 1994 and how richard clark uh could have done something about that and didn't
2: yes absolutely as i said uh, clark actually worked for originally for george h w bush and and then uh for clinton throughout the clinton administration and then for george w bush as well but in 1993 is when the U.S. began uh, this practice known as rendition, which most people uh, in the rest of the world would call uh, torture. It's basically a, um, a capturing people and torturing them. Um, and torture doesn't work well for uh, gaining information, but but Clark apparently was behind that policy. He uh, proposed it, and uh, it is the precursor. It was the precursor to the uh, uh, secret um, CIA rendition program that has occurred since 9-11. Clark was also uh, criticized heavily by people who were trying to prevent the 1994 Rwandan genocide. And uh, people who were trying to stop that uh, slaughter before it happened said that uh, Clark was a malicious, uh, heartless man who was oblivious to the evidence of this genocide and uh, he, he he failed to take uh, action when there was many things there were many things the US could have done to prevent the tragedy these people said that it was Richard Clark who actually prevented the US from taking any action and and ultimately supporting a UN intervention in Rwanda and, uh, you know, he was very skeptical, apparently, and he was stonewalling. Um, and that led, ultimately, to the the uh, genocide in which 800,000 people were killed in just 100 days in that small African country.
0: Uh, Kevin, how long did it take you to write this book, Another 19? It's so dense, it must have taken a very long time.
2: Well, you know, I've been studying the events of 9-11 for 10 years now, and I spent the first six years of that time focusing primarily on the World Trade Center and, and scientific work related to that. Uh, evaluation of the government's reports which took a long time to produce and were very detailed and and so the first six years i focused on that and in two thousand nine I really started looking at who might have been responsible for nine eleven so this book is a culmination of the last four years of research in, in which I'm trying to answer specific questions about what happened and what has not been explained. So about four years' worth of work, it is, it is a very dense book, and there's a lot of information. But if you're interested in finding out what really happened on 9-11, I believe that, that you'll find it useful.
0: Kevin Ryan, thank you very much. Thank you, Bonnie. I've been speaking with Kevin Ryan. Today's show has been Another 19, Part 1. Kevin Ryan earned a B.S. in chemistry from Indiana University and has worked as a chemistry laboratory manager for many years in Bloomington, Indiana. He is the former site manager for environmental health laboratories in South Bend, Indiana, a division of Underwriters Laboratories, or UL. Kevin Ryan is co-editor of the Journal of 9 Studies, which publishes peer-reviewed research, and a founding member of Scholars for 9/11 Truth and Justice. He has co-authored several books and peer-reviewed scientific articles on the subject. Visit www.journalof911studies.com. That's Journal of the numbers 911studies.com. Many of his articles can be found at www.ultruth.com. That's ultruth.com. His new book, Another 19, Investigating Legitimate nine eleven Suspects, can be found at www.another19.com. That's another, the numbers, one nine dot com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaro Mako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com or faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org.
1: Of your own cypher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what inside yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life and release. You dig me, you got me?